morning, Golden Dale, and hello to all of my fellow liberty-loving Americans all across the fruited plains from sea to shining sea. This is the host who loves you the most, Luke Thrilling, thrilling, thought-provoking Thursday, friends. Torch Report 335, the circular economy and total global control. Today, we will be looking beyond the headlines, ignoring the headlines completely, in fact, to address the globalist agenda that is proceeding as planned. As you know, they do have a plan. And I know that you know that the globalist agenda is not what it seems. So regardless of how they sell the plan, no matter how pie in the sky and appealing it may be to the unsuspecting and ignorant hordes, friends, we know that they are up to no good. We've discussed at length the infiltration of communist ideals into the various blueprints that they've been developing uh, for the last 100 years or more now. Originally organized as the League of Nations after World War I, the UN, the United Nations, was formally established in 1945 directly after World War II, and their agenda has been expanding ever since. Today, the United Nations summarizes their far-reaching mission as a moral imperative to, quote, ensure peace, dignity, and equality on a healthy planet, period, end quote. Now, I know it sounds nice, but of course, to the keen mind, to the astute listening audience here, we know this is just a deceptively farcical statement, you know, take a look at the front page of their website today. When, when I look out in the headlines and I see just a bunch of crap, uh, smoke and mirrors, political circus and all that, sometimes it doesn't even warrant a comment. And, and on days like that, I turn to the globalist uh, websites, the UN, the WHO, et cetera, to see what they're up to. And I put a screenshot in here to, in today's report. Friends, if you're listening on a podcast platform, please know that you have to go to thetorchreport.com to see this nifty little screenshot and to get all of the goodies. Now, The screenshot top of the page for the United Nations today is talking about achieving zero waste, and it says they require action at all levels. To quote directly, it says a zero waste approach entails responsible production, consumption, and disposal of products in a closed circular system. Now, while lofty goals such as zero waste may serve to motivate and inspire the minions, of course, The devil is in the details. Most people, being unaware of the UN's overarching intent to consolidate power and control into a centralized global governing apparatus, a.k.a. the global digital government that is nearly upon us, most of the public... They don't know this, you know, and so they they support the political leaders who sign on to these plans. Everybody's a good human. It's all kumbaya for the greater good. Uh, they believe that they're being responsible global citizens by supporting these initiatives, uh, all really under the umbrella of Agenda 2030 and the UN Sustainable Development Goals. But of course, when it comes to the globalist agenda, We know that they're using language that has a hidden higher meaning and socialistic interpretation. This comes straight out of the Communist Manifesto. And we know that they deploy the Marxist tactics of dialectical materialism to incrementally nudge public discourse toward accepting this centralized control. And as always, 
The ideas appear to be palatable. Of course, who would object? You know, they're even desirable. Who doesn't want a zero waste approach to re, re, you know, entail that entails responsible production, consumption and disposal of products? I mean, it just sounds good, you know, until, of course, their language is parsed and their true intentions are revealed. So let's parse some words, shall we? First, let's just be really clear here, perfectly clear, crystal clear, friends. A zero waste approach does not, it will not, and it cannot ever actually achieve zero waste uh, for the global economy. It's just not going to happen. It's impossible. Logically speaking, uh, not only is it impossible, but it's completely incongruent with reality. In light of this week's studies about all the dialectics, this is where the dialectics come in, and it kind of works like this. First, the thesis is that humans are destroying the planet. Second, the antithesis, the antithesis, is the zero-waste approach to global policy. And third, the synthesis of this is the circular system that ensures so-called responsible production, consumption, and disposal of everyday products. It sounds good. You know, they, they have successfully framed the conversation in a way that shifts public sentiment away from local-level policy, local-level control, in favor of global-level policy and global-level control, global-level governance. Because, <laughs> after all, you know, who else can coordinate the collective efforts of humanity to save the planet and ensure peace, dignity, and equality for all? Why, none other than the global cabal. They're the only ones that can do it. Our benevolent benefactors who mean to be good rulers, friends, they do mean to be our rulers, of course. Let's not forget that global leaders are operating on the assumption that they have a moral imperative, they have a responsibility to protect the planet from certain destruction, and they have a responsibility to protect all the people everywhere from everything else, you know? And just in case you've not been with me for that long, you know, this responsibility to protect has been intentionally developed among enlightened leaders for decades. And I want to point out here that this responsibility to protect the R2P, it appeals directly to the ego of powerful people. The people who have the money and the political clout to provide this mythical protection are the ones that think they have the moral imperative to protect everybody. And indeed, this R2P framework, this responsibility to protect was originally developed by the United Nations back in 2001. And ever since, it's been baked into virtually every global initiative for over 20 years. This is how they justify their need to assert assumed authority over we, the peasants of planet Earth. Now, this, I think, is very important to understand because it has become the conceptual capsule that allows the global elites to develop and disseminate their plans for centralized control through the thousands of nonprofits and NGOs that they're using to build out the new world order. And I want to give you an example of that, kind of regarding the, the rollout of digital governance. I want you to consider the implicit coordination and connection between uh, several organizations here. Just again, it's a small example, but I want to give you five here. From the UN Department of Economic and Social Affairs, there's a report on digital government. 
Another uh, report coming out of the Brookings Foundation. It says digital government foundations for global development and democracy. And I just point out that democracy, globally speaking, that's the first step in the communist revolution. Third one here to point out also coming from a different section and organ of the UN. It talks about global trends in digital government, local e-government development. And so here we see, if you were to dig in, there's tons of stuff there. I mean, you could you could spend hours digging into all of this, but you see in that in that report, the global elites and the global governance are working on local e-government development. And if you think about it in terms of digital, when you have everything uh, digital government at the local level, that gives them much greater control at the global level, top-down control. The, the fourth uh, report here is coming from the CISIS. Uh, uh, what the heck is it called? It's the, it's the global digital governance, everything that you need to know coming from the Center for Strategies and International Studies. So this is an example of an NGO that's towing the line and pushing the ball forward here. The last report or last uh Link here in the report today, friends, is from the WEF. It says, introducing the WEF's Global Consultorium on Digital Currency Governance. Okay, the WEF, they're all hot and bothered and worked up over digital currency governance. So they're all working on different parts of the plan, but it's all essentially saying the same thing. It goes on and on and on. And as I was reading through these today, uh, it reminded me of an article that I referenced in Monday's report. Monday's report was the sad demise of American values, but it, the, the title of the article was the post-pandemic socially conscious transformation of American banking in a digital world. And I just feel like that really ties it all together, doesn't it? And when we talk about parsing language, I just want to say, when you see the words post-pandemic, think the Great Reset. When you see the words socially conscious transformation, think menticide, think memetics, okay? When you see the words digital world, think total global tyranny. Now, I'm not real big fan of trying to tell people what to think. I say, you know, the torch report is the truth you can trust. Don't take my word for it. Click on the links and read their words for yourselves. Develop your own informed perspective and all of that. But these are what those words mean if you start digging into it, which brings me back in a rather circular fashion to the globalists' zero-waste approach entailing responsible production, consumption, and disposal of products in a closed circular system. Just quoting off the UN's website this morning. And that phrase there, I feel like it brings up an interesting dichotomy. Politics control the economy, and the economy controls the politics. It goes both ways. And I believe that exposes the insidious nature of all of the global public-private partnerships that are permeating and orchestrating the global chaos right now, advancing the globalist agenda. Selling the idea to the public as some sort of great innovation, innovation like, oh, hey, yeah, the governments are going to work with the private industry and we're going to get together. We're going to save the planet. Great. You know, but the reality of the situation, of course, is that the global elite now control both sides of the equation. And this allows them to coordinate their collective efforts to consolidate power and control. It's a power play. Thus, the tension between capitalist and communist ideas 
ideals, I should say, it's been resolved, right? This is the synthesis here. It's synthesized into a symbiotic relationship that transcends local, state, and national governments. And this too is the outcome of decades of applied dialectics, just to kind of keep that theme going here. And yet, friends, if you examine these, uh, all these different aspects of the agenda, we find that the roots of both philosophies remain embedded throughout all of the different aspects of the agenda. From the communist side, we see the, you know, the deception, the hidden higher meaning, and we see the increasing consolidation of power and control, public control over private enterprise. And that's being driven by cultural revolutions all around the world. So they're using the commie tactics there to foment revolution and consolidate control. And then from the capitalist side, we see the eager money-grubbing greed of opportunistic international corporations to, you know, who are working to build back better with the endless stream of cash that's flowing from the government printing presses. And it's a win-win situation, especially once they get their global digital governance at the local level and their global digital currency at the global level. Okay, Governments make the policies that incentivize the private investments. The private investments are backed by the institutionalized government-backed banks. The money then flows in a circular fashion from one organization to another, just as the human resources flow, the CEOs and the politicians, you know, cycling through the various revolving doors of the myriad public-private partnerships that make this all possible. Just kind of seeing that big picture overarching perspective, I think it's important because this powerful, unholy alliance is driving the Great Reset. This is, in my mind, the very essence of the global cabal. It's the idea that they have a responsibility to rule us all in order to save the planet. And it's all dressed up as some form of altruistic altruistic philanthropy. (laughs) Let me say it again. In the form of altruistic philanthropy. But again, friends, uh, we only need to parse their words to reveal their true intent. So playing with it a little bit here. What is responsible production and consumption of goods? What do they mean by that? And of course, if you've been with me, you know we've talked about this before, particularly in Torch Report 93, the one agenda to rule them all, which combines the environmental agenda with the One Health global agenda. But just briefly, just in case you're unfamiliar, you know, this responsible production and consumption of goods includes keeping fossil fuels in the ground, taxing polluters, regulating what foods are available in public spaces, allowing the government to control your thermostat, fundamentally restructuring the economy, and also limiting your volume of consumption. Meaning, if you can't get baby formula, then you cannot consume it. If you cannot get eggs at the grocery store, then you cannot consume it. If you can't get all of the creature comforts of the modern Western lifestyle, then you know, you're not going to be polluting the planet and thus their need to control the means of production and consumption. And of course, you have no say in this whatsoever. Neither do I. (laughs) Okay. According to the UN Sustainable Development Goals, quote, breaking these cycles of destruction for the planet and human health 
requires legislative action, corporate reform, and individuals to be supported and incentivized to make healthy choices, period, end quote. Now, who could argue with that? Come on, you know, it's just perfect. It's, it's infallible logic. It's a watertight argument, right? Wrong, <laughs> you know, the legislative action, the corporate reform, the incentivized choices, this is all designed to facilitate behavioral change. And it is creating behavioral change, very little of which is actually in the best interest of the average peasant. So they're creating this behavioral change. They're creating this transformation of consciousness. They're developing this perspective of being a global citizen and forfeiting your rights for the, the greater good. And that does not bode well for the average person. The ideas that are being forcefully branded into the public psyche right now, they do not serve to elevate individual well-being, regardless of what they tell. I mean, say, we got to make lift up everybody's quality of life everywhere. Horseshit. They're not going to do that. Instead, all of this heavy handed psychological conditioning is serving to elevate the collective well-being of humanity, which sounds good, of course, until somebody actually stops to think about it. What is the collective well-being of humanity? How do we define that? You know, how? <laughs> how is the operative question here. If you really want to get into their underlying intent, ask yourself how. How are they going to ensure peace? Good question. You know, how about by disarming the global population? Not immediately, but just kind of slowly, one generation at a time, incrementally changing the policies by changing public perception. In time, they believe people are just going to gladly give up their guns. And friends, just wait and see, <laughs> you know, especially when it's incentivized and it reaps the public praise. It strokes the ego of the average useful idiot. And while you may be inclined to scoff at the thought of people giving up their guns, you may be thinking out of my dead lifeless fingers and all of that. Friends, you're an anomaly. You know, think about future generations. Future generations will turn in your guns and they'll do it gladly precisely because of the indoctrination and the transformation of consciousness. Okay. Now, similarly, how are they going to protect people's dignity? How? Well, <laughs> for starters, they're going to have to define what dignity means. It's an incredibly ambiguous term. The philosophers can't even agree what dignity means, but well, they're going to have to define that, and they're going to have to extract from the nebulous term whatever concept suits their agenda in the moment. But ultimately, I believe they're going to use this term, dignity, as a dialectical tool to drive wedge issues that divide social groups into familiar camps so they can then be poked and prodded to the benefit of national politics. This is what will keep the political circus going. In other words, friends, the idea of dignity will be used to demand more government intervention on behalf of protected classes, and that's going to fuel class warfare forever, kind of like equality. But we can still ask the question, how? How are they going to deliver global equality? And the short answer is, they're not. <laughs> no way in hell it's going to happen. But that won't stop them, of course, from promising this pie-in-the-sky ideal and selling the useful idiots on the greater, uh, greater and greater degrees of government control over every aspect of our lives. The only way to deliver equality on behalf of the greater good is if the government and the government alone is in control of the means of production and consumption. It's timeless, friends. We've seen it all before. But I want to ask, did you miss that one little word that really gives away their plan here? 
going to read it one more time from the UN website, quote, a zero waste approach entails responsible production, consumption and disposal of products in a closed circular system, period, end quote. You see it, don't you? It's a closed circular system. Kind of like the closed circular thinking that is so pervasive in the public mindset these days. I do find it interesting that at the center of an ostensibly open and inclusive global society, we find a closed circular system. How fascinating. Thus, we see, friends, how circular thinking justifies the fantasies about a circular economy that ultimately fuels the desires for total global control. It is a closed loop indeed, and not, uh, you know, one only needs to step out of the loop to see just how ridiculous and dangerous the whole idea is. Nevertheless, <laughs> getting people to take that step out of the loop, friends, that will be no small feat. And that is the message of my heart for today. Resist, we must. <laughs> friends, if you're enjoying this podcast, please take the time to find that little heart on the website or the Substack app. Click that little heart and give me some love. Subscribe if you have not subscribed already. And of course, the greatest honor of all is if you share this podcast with someone, share it with anyone, share it with everyone you know. Get out there and embrace this thrilling, thought-provoking Thursday, and I'll look forward to talking to you again soon.